is that one component of a successful basketball team that's really just hard to put your finger on? Sure, you need accurate shooting. Paul can really shoot. I said, Paul, I need you to shoot a thousand threes a week. He went and did it. And I said, I need one spot on the floor that you know is money. You need to play great defense. Brad was going to do all the dirty work. Loose balls, jump the passing lane, guard the toughest perimeter guy. You need to be efficient. Fitzgerald, he sort of had that old school game that everybody was just so off balance guarding him. And it certainly helps if you're athletic. But what about the love of the game? The love between teammates? An authentic desire to play together? That's a little harder to pin down. But there is a word for it. Chemistry. But you can tell East Chapel Hill has not been rattled. Even though this is their first championship game, they've come out pretty poised. Welcome back to 123 Wildcats. I'm Neil Amato, and this is episode five. This episode is about three very different, but very complimentary and very important players for East Chapel Hill, who, most important, played together more than anyone on those early East Chapel Hill teams. Paul Kindom, a bulldog guard. Brad Woolley, an explosive small forward. Brian Fitzgerald, the crafty power forward. Starting from before they even entered middle school, they were friends on and off the court, but they spent so much time on different courts around town that their togetherness and their differences as players helped them kind of form the nucleus of those East Chapel Hill teams. Uh, Brian and I, you know, have basically been best friends since second grade uh, and, you know, always did sleepovers at each other's houses and um, played just a ton of basketball. You know, me, Paul, and Brian especially, we played together, you know, almost every day of the year, right? We, we, I mean, we lived at the community center in Chapel Hill. So, but I mean, in seventh, eighth, ninth, and tenth grade, so that's four years, and we'd played summer league together, we played AAU basketball together, um, and then just we'd go down to the during the summertime, we'd go to the community center in Chapel Hill, and it'd be 95 degrees outside, and we'd spend four hours out there on the court um, playing together. So we played a lot of street ball, uh, a lot of four on four, you know, so we knew each other's games extremely well. Yeah, so it'd be really common out there to check the ball up at half court and from there sending a look over to Brad on the right wing. If we made eye contact, he gave a little nod. Well, that meant he was running a backdoor cut on his man for the alley-oop. Another look over to Paul might mean, hey, let's hit him with the give and go or Hey, man, you've got a mismatch. Go to work. On a lot of new school basketball teams, the players may not know each other. On this new school basketball team, the chemistry that was instantly there, in part because of the bond between these three players, Fitzgerald, Kindom, and Woolley, 
is one of the things that made East Chapel Hill special. Listen, it wasn't about how many points anybody scored. It was all about the, the bonds we created. It was fun kuchen, which is a delicious Norwegian breakfast of sweet pancakes, powdered sugar, and bacon that Paul's mom would make us over at his house. It was four-hour stretches of video games playing James Bond 007 over at the Woolies, or I was making silly home videos together, just ridiculous skits and sketches we used to come up with and laugh about. He was playing Mortal Kombat at the arcade in University Mall, then grabbing a cold Coke and walking over to the community center to see what kind of competition we could find out there. It was our love of each other as friends that allowed that to translate and carry over onto the basketball court. Fitzgerald was the leading scorer on that team. In the words of Coach Hartsfield, it was layup city for Brian. He was so good at getting open and faking out his man and receiving passes and scoring that he just made it look easy. He shot more than 70% from the floor. Uh, He continued that hot shooting even into college. Uh, He followed point guard Andy Jones to Division II Longwood University in Virginia. Uh, By the way, Longwood is now a Division I competitor in athletics, but at the time... In the late 90s, it was still Division Two. Like several East Chapel Hill players, Brian was not going to wow you. But man, if you had never seen him play and you had to guard him, you were pretty much lost. Fitzgerald was my, I mean, God, I, I love some Fitz. I mean, herky-jerky, up and under, Kevin McHale at six foot five. He was the guy that nobody could guard because he, he was an old school player. And that wasn't even old school basketball in back in that day. I mean, it is from today that's old school. But he sort of had that old school game that everybody was just so off balance guarding him. Mike Rotolo, the Southern Vance coach, describing Brian Fitzgerald and obviously how much he appreciated his game. I think it's a great comparison, Kevin McHale. We mentioned... Uh, the pump fakes, way back in episode one. And we're going to mention them here again. I mean, if you ever saw him at the community center, it would be hilarious because he would make people look silly with those fakes under the basket. I mean, his fakes are legendary for people in Chapel Hill. They are. And he actually said, he, he makes a great point, you know, in that era where there was no such thing as video scouting, social media, anything, like... He was very good because people had not seen him. Exactly. And he was a lefty. Yep. And so that helped, too, under the basket. There you heard from Aaron Uhlenberg, the point guard at East Chapel Hill after Andy Jones. Ray Hartsfield talks about a different aspect of footwork and handiwork of Fitzgerald's. And that was that he thought he had an amazing pivot foot. That was his super ability. That was his thing, you know, the way he could catch the ball, give a guy this, pivot, step through, give him a head fake, and he hadn't even dribbled yet. That's how he scored at 6'4 in the post. He was quick with it. He had an unbelievable pivot foot. I always tell people the best thing that happened to Chris Hall was that he played with Brian Fitzgerald for two years. If Brian Fitzgerald had been 6'7, 6'8, he would have been crazy. People noticed Chris Hobbs. He was taller than anyone else on the team. He was stronger than anyone else. 
he just looked like a guy that you were going to have to contain. So many people just forgot about Brian Fitzgerald. I don't know, it might have been the quietest, you know, 19 points a game average in, who knows, I don't want to say the history of high school basketball, but he ended up being the conference player of the year two years in a row. But when you ask people about that team, if they only saw him once, they often would forget about Fitzgerald. They would say, oh, well, they had Chris Hobbs, and they had that, you know, guy who could shoot, Paul Kindom. You know, they'd mention Brad Woolley because of his ability to dunk. About the last player they'd mention a lot of the times was Brian Fitzgerald. It seems like it was another boy. Was there a Fitzgerald boy? Fitzgerald so valued kind of that crafting a new move or working on a pump fake or some sort of pivot foot variation. He even would practice his moves on his mom in the kitchen at their house. Uh, that's one of the things I found in the, uh, the all area player of the year feature I wrote on Brian Fitzgerald uh, his senior year. He was not the uh, area player of the year his junior year, but he was his senior year. So Brian, uh, I guess, took his craft seriously. He would use any moment to kind of work on his uh, work on his footwork. I definitely remember that. <laughs> it was a little disconcerting if I was trying to cook or whatever, but he would want me to block him or steal the ball. Paul Kindom had grown up going to games at the Smith Center. Like many of his teammates, he got there when he could. Uh, he had a little more of an inside connection than some of the other guys. Yeah, my dad was a professor at UNC in the communications department. Uh, so from a young age, he would take me up to games at the Dean Dome. And I, I mean, I just loved it there. It's one of uh, you know, one of the heavens on earth for me. I mentioned in a tweet teasing this podcast that friends of Paul told me stories of his athletic feats. Again, he was 5'9", maybe 5'10", and could throw down windmill dunks when he was in high school. He did not actually dunk in a game in high school, but he could get up and he could throw it down. For Paul being a 5'9", probably, a uh, white dude who could dunk. It, it was that's that was pretty much unheard of. He also excelled in baseball. I've heard stories of him hitting monster home runs in Little League. He played one year of high school football as a senior for the playoff bound East Chapel Hill team, again with quarterback Andy Jones, wide receiver Brad Woolley. Paul Kingdom's first touch came in a game against Northwood High School and it was an unforgettable debut. Here's Andy Jones. I only have one football game on tape and it was the, uh, the Northwood game and that was Paul's first first game playing football in high school and uh, you know, I'm watching and, and, and it's, uh, you know, Paul gets his first touch and he scores a touchdown on like a 35-yard run. 
And uh, we joked about it. He was, you know, comes off on the sideline. He's like, man, this game's really easy. I mean, he was a heck of a football player considering he only played one year. You know, Paul was always my guy. You know, he was just my guy because he was just one of the toughest guys that I ever coached. Yeah, Paul played football too. I mean, he played it late, but he did play it. And I was the one that talked him into playing football. I'm like, man, you have a football body. Please go out and put it to use. Go put it to use and have fun. I Don't worry about us. We'll get you ready come basketball season. You know, even even though Ray, you know, Ray was like, Coach, why are you telling him to go play football? I'm like, Coach, I'm just I'm just opening his options up because this guy can play on the next level of football as well. I said, I just I would love to see him go out and play, but but as a coach, I understand you don't you know you you're not pushing it. I said, but I'm gonna push it. You know, I was always the, what what they would call the devil's advocate for Ray. I was like, ah, he's gonna play, he's gonna play football. I'm gonna watch him. I'll go coach if, if that's what it takes. That was East Chapel Hill basketball assistant coach Toby Lucas, who also has a background as a football coach, as you can tell. Head coach Ray Hartsfield saw that what he would need out of Kingdom on the basketball court was dependable outside shooting. He saw the strength that the Wildcats had inside with Hobbs and Fitzgerald, and he knew if Paul could keep the defenses honest by making outside shots, that they would be able to really have a lot of great options on offense. So he asked Paul Kindham to focus his preseason work on a specific shot. Paul can really shoot. I said, Paul, I need you to shoot a thousand threes a week. He went and did it. And I said, I need one spot on the floor that you know is money. When he caught the ball on the left wing, they knew to give him the ball. Nobody around him on the left wing, just give him the ball. Don't even hesitate. Flowers, down in the corner, low, that was a big one. Wyndham, Kindred, excuse me, with a three-point play, makes it 26-24 now. Didn't take long to catch up when you drop the three-pointers in. In the lane. We've interspersed radio clips of the state championship game broadcast throughout this podcast. You've heard a few of those. I'm sure. Uh, That was Dave Lingefelt and Juju Phillips of WHKY who called the game. And we're thankful uh, to Juju Phillips for letting us use a copy of that broadcast. Kind of through no fault of their own, they refer to Paul Kingdom by a variety of different names. I think one of the reasons in the first half box score, his name was spelled K-I-N-D-E-R-N. It was corrected in the final box. My guess is that Rick Strunk, with his attention to detail, saw it and got it fixed. So for the final box score, Paul Kingdom's name is spelled correctly. The first half box score, K-I-N-D-E-R-N. So Kindern, as he was called a few times. Right-handed laid it up. Kinder took it right to the basket. 51-45, six-point lead. Hickory down in the ballgame. You've heard me mention the name Rick Strunk a few times. Rick was then Associate Executive Director of the North Carolina High School Athletics Association, and he was in charge of media relations for the NCHSAA. Rick Strunk's wife and Paul Kindom's mom worked together teaching, and so the families knew each other. And Rick Strunk asked Paul Kindom if Kindom could help him with a little airport shuttling. We've mentioned high flyers on this episode. 
Paul Kingdom got the chance to meet one of the legendary high flyers of all time, a guy widely regarded as one of the greatest college basketball players ever. Here's Kingdom detailing that trip to RDU, where he picked up NC State legend David Thompson. So Rick Strunk, he headed up the North Carolina High School Association, and they were having a huge event at the Dean Dome. By knowing Rick, he asked if I would be up for for picking up David Thompson from uh, RDU Airport. And I, of course, was ecstatic and said, yes, absolutely. Um, So Brian was available, Brian Fitzgerald. So I asked him if he wanted to go along. Yeah, he hit me uh, on my beeper and he put the 911. So I knew there was something important going on. Uh, well, at the time, I had a Honda Prelude, uh, which was the two-seater. Uh, it wasn't exactly a large car. So uh, Brian and I get to RDU Airport, and we're, we're looking for David Thompson. And, you know, sure enough, there, there he comes out of the terminal. And uh, Brian's in the, the back seat, kind of crunched up with his knees and his, and his chest. And um, then David Thompson gets in the passenger seat. So we had a good conversation with him driving to this event. So we got to ask him about, you know, being able to, to jump up and touch the top of the backboard or put a quarter on top of the backboard. And Wow. That's so funny. Yeah. Brian, of course, told the part about, you know, he's like, yeah, I wasn't gonna, I wasn't gonna make David Thompson sit in the back seat of <laughs> Paul's prelude. <laughs> so yeah. Hey, Dave, can you just slide that seat up just a hair if you don't mind? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's perfect. Thank you. Patterson stolen away quickly down court. Big play. The layup is no good. Back up and in good. Willie scores. And they pull within one with eight seconds showing on the clock. Ray Hartsfield liked to say that Brad Woolley would do all the dirty work. Now, what that entailed, I guess, depended on the opponent. Sometimes it was guard the other team's best perimeter player. As I said, Brad Woolley also played football. The guys talk about his ability to to catch, his ability to run and jump. We've already mentioned Brad Woolley's dunk in the state championship. We will talk about it again. It was a thing that Brad Woolley really liked to do. Uh, You could say that he kind of got a head start on the fast break at the expense of boxing out. Yeah, he was always looking for the, um, the leak out. If you could excite the crowd and momentum your way with a dunk then you know man if i could do that i probably would be skipping box outs too woolly was the leaper he was the one that could he could fly brad woolly came by those talents honestly here's former chapel hill high player ed gear talking about woolly it's come to find out i was like well brad you know how can you get up so high so brad's dad could jump really high his dad was a college pole vaulter in fact at one point he held the Ursinus College school record in the pole vault. Yeah, to me, what Brad brought to the table was great dude, fun to be around, but he wasn't taking crap off anybody. He brought that New Jersey swag, feisty, trash talker, scrappy defender, and you hear people talking about him dunking. He didn't just dunk on fast breaks. Coach had this play called angle, 
where Brian would come to the top of the key and he'd hold the ball with his back to the basket. And the guys would crisscross by him. I think uh, Paul and Brad. And he could hand the ball to them or he could turn and he had a, he had a bunch of options. There was outlets, you know, Chris was down there. And so, yeah, against Northern Vance, we ran angle and Paul had come off first and I faked the handoff to him, but Brad's man was trailing him and I could just see that look in his eye. So I handed off to Brad and he takes one dribble and leaps from the outside edge of the lane as the big man's coming over to help. And sure enough, Brad just thunder smashes one on top of the guy's head. And I was like, wow. But the thing is, he came up with plays like that all the time that just energized us as a team. That was Fitzgerald along with team manager David Margolis talking about the Wildcats' go-to offensive set angle. Another thing I asked Willie was how nice it was. It was something Paul Kingdom brought up. He said, it's probably something that I just figured out in hindsight, maybe not then. But obviously, you guys had a really small rotation. Did that help you in the sense that you could play kind of free and not be worried about making a mistake coming out of the game? Without a doubt. Yeah, we, we played, you know, six guys, sometimes seven. But, you know, there, there's two aspects of that. And I've been thinking about this since, since you reached out. The one is... You know, me, Paul, and Brian especially, we played together, you know, almost every day of the year, right? We, we, we lived at the community center in Chapel Hill. We were playing at my house, playing at Brian's house, wherever. We played almost every day together. So the way we practiced for a year is also the way we played. We were pretty much always in the game together. And I think that really did, in the grand scheme of things, help everybody out. You know, you always had time to get, you know, fix a mistake. You always had time to get warm. You know, you always had time to, you know, if somebody was a hot hand, they didn't have to worry about coming out, you know, because of a fixed rotation or anything. So we just played. That's what we are used to doing. Those memories of pickup games at the community center are ones that uh, they like to think about a lot. They think about it so much, I guess, or at least Brian Fitzgerald did, that he wrote a song about it. He has a, uh, a track on an album on Spotify. The track is called Carolina Flashback. And he talks about going to play basketball at the community center, rolling up to the courts in his friend Paul Kingdom's beat up Mazda 3233 Again, that's Agent Fitz, the artist, and the track is Carolina Flashback for those searching on Spotify. It's a pretty good, pretty good title for some music related to this podcast. 
I said it before, but Fitz cut it out. The community center means something to me, too. I don't think I crossed over with those guys. Uh, even though uh, manager Dave Erntman said they would beat players twice their age, I really don't remember getting beat by any uh, 10-year-olds when I was a college senior and living in an apartment near the community center courts. You know, maybe maybe it happened. I don't know. I don't, I don't think so. I, I don't think uh, a young B. Fitz would have beaten me. That's probably just another shout-out that gets uh, left on the editing room floor. Uh, speaking of the editing room floor... If you are enjoying the sound design, editing, and the selection of musical tracks on this podcast, I want you to buy our executive producer, Brian Fitzgerald, his beverage of choice the next time you see him, because he is the one doing that creative work. Major shout out to him for all that he has done for 123 Wildcats. Brian Fitzgerald, Paul Kindom, and Brad Woolley played more basketball together as a trio than any other combination of East Chapel Hill players. But there was one day, the summer before East Chapel Hill High School opened, that Fitzgerald played ball with some others, and it's a day he will never forget. He knew two of the guys out at that cul-de-sac hoop. A third was new to him, but so memorable. And I remember like, Okay. Okay. Who's this? Who's this? Uh, this big dude, <laughs> basically. But as we started playing, I remember we were playing two on two. As we were playing, we got to talking a little bit, and I realized, oh, this is Chris Hobbs. This is actually the dude who's going to come to East that that people have been talking about during that matchup, that two on two matchup. Of course, I'm coming up as a junior. This guy's not even in high school yet. I mean, not even a freshman. The dude's in eighth grade. I'm thinking to myself, I've got to kind of punish this dude. And so, but he comes out there, and I remember from that two-on-two game right away, I was like, okay, this this guy's for real. Like I, like I was not bullying Chris in any sense, even though even though I was two years older, and I'm thinking I should be. We had a, a battle out there, and we were both kind of giving it all we had and going toe-to-toe. And I knew this guy is a warrior. Thank you, listeners. This is the end of episode five. We're heading into episode six, where we will tell more of the story of Chris Hobbs, his life, and his legacy. Trivia. Last week's trivia question. What was the lowest point total recorded by East Chapel Hill in a playoff game that first season. So they played five playoff games in the 97 uh, postseason. I gave you multiple choice, 41, 45, 51, or 55. The answer was the first, 41. That was uh, a point total that actually won them a game. We will detail uh, some of that game in episode seven. That was a third round playoff game between East Chapel Hill and Wilson Beddingfield. This week's trivia question. I don't have enough insight into our data to know the times of day that, that people are listening. I do have a little uh, geography data and chances are some of you are listening over lunch. I'm kind of hungry. I don't think you can hear the stomach growl, but I'm hungry. So today's trivia question is going to be about food. And it is a legit question. I know you might not take it seriously here in that intro, but here it is. East Chapel Hill and Hickory 
for a game day meal on 3-22-97, the day of the state championship game, both ate at the same restaurant. Not the same physical location, the same restaurant chain. What restaurant did both teams have a game day meal? The hint is this restaurant chain has its corporate headquarters in North Carolina. Go, go. That's our trivia question for this week. Hit us up on Twitter or call the Wildcats hotline, 919-867-1319. You can talk East Chapel Hill basketball, answer the trivia question, or just let us know what you think of this podcast. We'd also love for you to rate and review on Apple Podcasts. We'd like for you to subscribe and share the show with your friends. Thanks for listening. Hey, Amato, who can I turn to? Make me a podcast I can hold on to. One, two, three, Wildcats around my phone. Hartfield Jones and Beefit are not alone. Hey, Neil, I got your number. I'm gonna call the line. Hey, Neil, don't change.